The Bible tells us that the fields are white for harvest. The numbers are staggering. 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists in the 1040 window have never met a follower of Jesus. As Christians, our calling is clear. The best thing we can do is to show them the love of Jesus. It won't always be easy. At times, it will cost us. While there are great things happening, God's doing good things, persecution's on the rise, and, and it's going to cost something. But isn't that what we're called to do, to give it all? Brother Harold has spent the past 15 years in the Islamic nations of Central Asia. He'll share some of the exciting things God is doing, and he'll challenge you to play your part to fulfill the Great Commission. All that right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. This is Todd Nettleton in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and uh, we have the great privilege today of, of speaking with uh, someone who spent the last 15 years working, uh, doing gospel ministry work in Central Asia. Uh, we're going to call him Brother Harold, and Brother Harold and I have something in common. We both uh, married into a wonderful family. Our wives are related to each other. And uh, Brother Harold, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It's good to be here. Let's talk a little bit uh, about some of the the things that have gone on in your time ministering in Central Asia. I, I know you've been there a long time. You've seen a lot. You've seen uh, good things, and unfortunately, you've seen bad things too. As you look back on the last 15 years, what's been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in, in the ministry there? Anytime you're living and ministering in the Muslim world, you're going to face a variety of challenges. You know, everything from political obstacles to um, uh, visa issues um, to people group, you know, problems, infighting. Uh, of course, you have the whole religious difference and the background that that brings. And so just in that context, you just face a variety of challenges every single day. Uh, interesting, though, I think probably one of the bigger challenges uh, is a lot of times just simply the apathy of people. Um, toward God. You know, you, you live in a world where everyone acknowledges God, everyone says, yes, we're Muslim, we follow, but but in reality, there's not a lot of people seeking, genuinely seeking after and wanting to truly know who God is. Um, and that in and of itself can present a huge roadblock. I think one of the things, and I, I have visited that part of the world several years ago, I wrote a story for our VOM newsletter. Uh, the headline on the story was Between a Mosque and a Monument. And mm. we talked about the fact that Christians there are caught between the Islamic culture that they live in, uh, but also between what we call the monument and kind of this old-school communist ideology that still exists in that part of the world that religion is bad, religion is not to be trusted. Uh, and so when you're a Christian, you're kind of right between those two forces. Is that still the case? Is that kind of—do you still see that pressure coming from both directions? 
Yeah, very much so. And, you know, when you're 70 years under communism, it's going to have some impact. And, and surprising enough, the, people have kept with their identity as far as a Muslim. And, and, and that's uh, really what it has been to them is more of an identity as, than a religion. And so you do see a, a lot now, especially, you know, young people, kind of a nationalistic move back to Islam. It's kind of a, you know, this is who we are. This is our roots kind of thing. And so you see that more and more. Um, but definitely, you know, th- there's, that's a great way of, of talking about, you know, between a mosque and a monument. Yeah. And so one of the things, you, you know, you talk about the fact that their identity is, is Muslim. So when you come along and say, hey, I want you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're really getting at the very roots of, of how they see themselves and right. how they think of themselves. Right. How, do you, how do you get past that? You know, it's it's a tough thing. Um, we recently we were having a conversation with a, with a young girl who's a um, MBB, um, you know, raised in a Muslim family and 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 is a believer in, in, in Jesus now. Following, she was telling us you have to understand that. Imagine talking to someone who's twenty something years old, and you're telling them to follow something that everyone they've ever trusted all their lives, their family, their friends, their school have told them is completely wrong. And here you are, a stranger, introducing this new idea and concept, and and. And they're having to accept that over the word of their family, their mother, their father, their, you know, everything they've ever known. And it's just a complete mind shift. And especially in that part of the world when, you know, identity is who you are. And, and then a lot of the conflict, the countries they've had conflicts with have traditionally been Christian nations. And so it's almost like you're selling out your national identity in order to embrace that of the enemy even. And, um, and so it, it creates quite the obstacle and the roadblock in, in just presenting the truth. We've talked about some of the challenges. Well, what have been some of the success stories? What, what are some of the things as you look back on the last 15 years that you say, man, God, God really did something there? God is, is, is so great and so faithful. And, and even in the midst of all that, we still see him working. And, and uh, you know, when we first moved there, there were very few known believers. And, and, and in the time we've been there, we've seen several different house churches established. We've seen people, you know, come to faith and, and find Jesus and begin living that victorious life. And it's just been awesome to see how God's worked. And, uh, of course, course, a lot of those have taken years. You know, it's a long journey. It's a process. Uh, one of one of our uh, the leaders of the house group now, uh, a, a lady who took a 15-year journey to, to get to where she is today. Wow. And uh, her story is just incredible, just from the you know, the point of, of accepting uh, uh, the, the Injil, you know, the New Testament as a, as a holy book and, and even receiving the teaching and then to moving to, okay, I can accept Jesus as a prophet, as God, and then, you know, loving Jesus and Muhammad and then going on to the point of saying, okay, I'm going to stop now reading the Quran and just solely read the Injil. And, and then for years it was, I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus, I believe that, but still not at the point of saying he's the son of God. Um, and ultimately, of course, the Holy Spirit does that and changes. And, and today she's extremely dedicated and focused on specifically sharing those with the gospel with those with who are, you know, in, in involved in Islam and, and doing the prayers and really wanting to grow and learn and definitely believes Jesus is the Son of God. But it was a 15-year journey for her. Um, and But to watch God do that and to, and to, in the midst of, you know, the difficulties that, that faces her, it's just a pretty awesome thing to see. When you talk about the church, the body of Christ there— what are the challenges that they're undergoing? And of course, when, when the Soviet Union um, first fell apart, opportunities were there, doors were open, people went in, the church really boomed in the first 10 or 15 years. And I think over the last five years, we've really seen a bit of a stagnation, kind of a plateauing uh, of the church growth. And um, 
which is good in one sense because now there there is a bit of a transition going on with a lot of the foreign workers beginning to step back, the the locals beginning to step up and take over leadership, and as they I think search through that and and come into their own, we're going to see another another big move there. But um, yeah, it, it's just a difficult time right now um, with a lot going on, especially you know in, in the political world and economic world, and, and uh, just going to have to see where where God is going to go in the midst of all that. We're speaking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Harold. He has been serving for the last 15 years in Central Asia, uh, working there to plant the seeds of the gospel. Uh, Brother Harold, in Central Asia, when we see persecution, who are the persecutors? Is it is it coming from the government? Is it coming from your own family members? A little bit of both? Kind of describe what the persecution environment is like right now. I definitely say a little bit of both. Um, interesting, we don't see a lot of government persecution directly aimed at solely Christians. It, it does happen, um, but at the same time, we've also seen persecution against other groups, Muslim groups even, because the desires for st- stability and for not anything out of the norm. And so while many of those countries would technically have freedom of religion in their in their laws, um, it's not really played out. There's a lot of persecution and, 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 and attempts by the government just to maintain control like that. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. So they would see uh, a radical Muslim group in the same light as they would see a house church group. Absolutely, they're, yeah. They're both outside the norm, so to say. Yep, absolutely, and and are doing everything they can to prevent that. And so from their response, you, you see people being fined absorbent amounts. Um, you see locals being arrested and detained. You see people being deported um, from the government side. Now, of course, when we're there and we work with families, uh, most of them are, are the difficulties they face would be from family members, friends, and a lot of it being just cast aside and, and pushed out of their communities, which, you know, a lot of times we in the West don't understand that, but a community there is where you where you interact and where you you know you you get married from your community you get jobs from your community you live out of that community and without that you, your hopes for a future are, are really nothing and so um, to lose that is is very significant and we've many of the people we, we've met have interacted with have had had faced that and uh, some of them have unfortunately gone back um, you know we, we see that a lot people will accept Christ but yet can't uh, overcome the pressures of life and, and revert back to Islam in order to do that but many of them have not and, and they have faced a lot of trials and tribulations as a result um, one young lady in particular is um, early on in, in a small village and, and he's a young girl she there happened to be a small little house group in that tr- in that community where she connected with and became a follower of Jesus and uh, so she went and visited their their house group and came back and when she came home her brother said where are you and she told her and so he beat her so she said she wouldn't go back. The next week, though, she was compelled again to go. And, and uh, so she went back and came home, and the same thing. Brother, where were you? And she told him, so he beat her again. And this went on week after week, month after month, year after year for four years. Wow. Four years. Every week she would go and come home, and she would be beaten by her brother. And, uh, you know, often left unconscious, bloody, just crazy. And in the midst of all that, her prayer was that someday her family would come to faith. After about four years, she was delivered from that, thankfully, um, and eventually was able to move on. And, and it's been 15 years now, and her prayer has still been that her family would come to know Jesus. Well, last fall, she had an opportunity to travel outside of the, the city and into another village about three hours away and ended up meeting some distant relatives she had never met before and, and shared with them. And and, uh, and 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 the preceding two months led not only that family to the Lord, but the neighbors to the Lord and led 12 people to the Lord in the next two months and started a new house church. Wow. And uh, so, you know, she's just praising God for the faithfulness. And I just look at that and say, 
you know, would I have gone back the next week after the first beating? And, you know, to endure four years of beatings and being unconscious and disowned by your family and to pray faithfully for 15 years and then to finally see that come to fruit. Um, and that's just a reality for the majority of the people in this part of the world who follow Jesus. I'm reminded of the, the passage of Scripture where Jesus says you have to turn your back on your father and your mother and your brother and your sister. And uh, truly, she has lived that out. Uh, but what a great restoration uh, yes. to start to see some of those family members come to faith, uh, the fact that God has really honored that. Brother Harold, one of the things that that we like to talk about here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is about um, ministry to Muslims, reaching Muslims. And you're living in Central Asia. You're surrounded by Muslims. How are you accepted as as a foreigner, as a Christian? How do you fit into that? Just because of where I'm from, it's assumed I'm a Christian. And, of course, that's, you know, early on that's going to create some things. But there's just an acceptance of, you know, you're from there, you're a Christian. I'm from here, I'm a Muslim. That's just how it is, and that's just life. Um, but, of course, uh, you know— our purpose there is to to share the love of Jesus, and, and we're trying to build bridges. And, and um, you know, I, I'm not interested in arguing and, and debating about what's right, what's wrong. I don't want to get into, you know, this is truth, this is not. I, I just want to share Jesus' love. And so um, our desire is to, is to build bridges to the community. And so, you know, as we go in and we lived and participate in life there, you know, having children on the field, you know, putting our kids in school, learning the language, interacting. And as we've developed that, we've been embraced and just so many friends and family there have just accepted us into their home. And, and, uh, and as a result, we, we, you know, we've earned the right to, to speak into their lives and to demonstrate, you know, the love of Jesus in that. And, and, and so we're received and, and they hear what we have to say and they want to hear what they have to say. Uh, a friend of mine I, I've known for years, and uh, seven years in, he came to me and said, I want to know how you and your wife interact. You guys are a little different, and, and my wife and I, we notice it, and we like it, and I want to hear. Of course, and I'm like, well, you know, I have talked with him several times about the Bible. He said, no, 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 I don't want to hear anything about that. I want you to tell me. But I'm able to tell him stories from Scripture and just, in you know, truth just presented through the way we live and do things and, and able to, you know, impact in that way. And so um, I just think, you know, genuinely loving people is just so powerful, so powerful. And that really opens doors to, to being able to, you know, share the love of Jesus. One of the cultural things there in Central Asia is the whole, the hospitality thing. And I, it's one of my favorite parts of the world to visit because of that. The, the people are just so incredibly welcoming. Tell us a little bit more about when you go to somebody's house, when you invite them to come into your home, what that means and, and how that opens those doors. Oh yeah, if you're if you're going to come visit, you'd be prepared to eat because you are going to eat and you will eat good and eat well. And uh, yeah, when you go to someone's home, they lay out the spread. It doesn't matter, you know. Shame and honor is a big thing in, in that part of the world, and it is very. It would be very shameful to to not be able to you know take care of guests. That's a huge thing. And so when you go as a guest, it is an honor for them. And they, no matter what where they are socially, economically, they will lay out the spread and they will just treat you like you know royalty. And it, it's just amazing. And so of course we have to learn to. Reciprocate that as well when we, you know, invite people to our homes and and. Uh, it's How just... long did it take you guys to learn that the the fact that hey, when people come over, we got to drop what we're doing, we got to yeah. throw out a good spread of food. Because um, you can really cause offense if you sure, don't do yeah. that. You know, early on we learned, too, just the amount of food you have to prepare. You know, you, you have to over-prepare, and you're going to eat leftovers for days because you, <laughs> to run out of food would be the worst. Uh, you know, we oftentimes, you know, the whole parable of Jesus at the wedding, you know, the whole idea of running out of wine. We're kind of, in our world, it's like, oh, no big deal. You read that, tell that story to people over there, and you get to that part and say it, and they just aghast. 
How horrible, because that would be the worst thing. Go to a wedding and they run out of food or, or drink. Oh, man, they, they couldn't imagine such a thing. Um, and so we, we had to learn, you know, how to do that. You don't have to go to Central Asia to meet Mm-mm. Muslims. You know, we, we yeah. live in America. There's Believe, a lot of Muslims over 7 million here. Muslims in North America now. What do our listeners need to know or, or what do they need to think about to engage? Because I know a lot of Americans start with the—they start with fear. Oh. Right. Oh, is that guy a terrorist? Yeah, it's one of the things I've experienced here in North America. It seems like that fear is just really growing and and really gripping the the hearts of people. And it's a sad thing because that is not the majority of the Muslim world. Now, absolutely, there are some terrorist crazy things out there. ISIS is ridiculous. But I tell you what, almost all of my friends in in the Muslim part of the world they dislike them as much as we do. They think it's crazy, you know. And and so the people in North America who've come here, they are. 99% of the time, just like you and I, families just trying to, you know, live their lives and do their best. And they're just coming here for a better life and, and to work and to do things. And the best thing we can do is to show them the love of Jesus. You know, when you hear testimonies of people who Muslims who've come to faith in America, it's because someone over and over again, just love them. You know, you got a neighbor, take them some cookies, invite them, go introduce them. Understanding that these people are coming from worlds where community was their life. They come to North America, well, you know, we're a little more independent than the rest of the world. We, we, we don't really commune like that. And so for someone to reach out to them, they would be longing for that and those kind of relationships. And you can make lifelong friendships and really meet some great people and uh, just with the opportunity to go and show love. And don't think you have to read up on the Quran and be able to, you know, argue and, and get in. You don't need to worry about that. Ask them, sit down. Hey, tell me about Islam. You know, I want to learn. And maybe they'll ask you about Christianity. And no need to debate and argue over things, but just continually show love. And, um, you know, when you do that, you'll be amazed at the, at the way the walls will just fall down. Um, but that's what I just encourage people to go out. And, you know, there's the people out there say, well, what about the terrorists? We find them out there. And my response to that is, does it matter? Is our response different? Are, are we not called to love our enemies just as much? So for me, the, I've just come to the point, it doesn't matter if they are terrorists, if they are trying to, you know, take over my world. My response is still to show them the love of Jesus. And so regardless of who they may be, that's what I've been called to do. And I'm going to do that as best as I can. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. You can listen to every episode of VOM Radio at www.vomradio.net. We're speaking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Harold. He has served for 15 years in Central Asia. Uh, Let's talk about missions, because I know uh, a part of your passion is to see people getting involved in missions and reaching out cross-culturally. What would you say to our listener, maybe particularly a young person, who's maybe feeling a little bit of a call, hey, I wonder if God might be moving me towards missions. What would you say to them? Wonderful. (laughs) Great need it. You know, those scriptures are very true. The Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, you know, especially in, in when you look at the 1040 window in the unreached areas of the world, a lack of resources, a lack of people in that part of the world, comparatively speaking, because it's difficult. It's hard. It's, you know, visas are an issue. We just had um, team members from one of our fields this summer were, were deported because the, the visa platform they were on, it, it doesn't work. And there's all these political things going on, and there's immigration things happening, refugees moving around the world. And so the world is different. It's changing, and it makes it harder to... to engage in, in ministry, especially the ministry the way we know it. So we're having to always think of new paradigms and new ways of doing mission um, and new ways of, of, of taking the gospel to these places. But when you look at the numbers of that part of the world, the 1040 window, and you realize that 
86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists have never met a follower of Jesus in their lifetime. And it's 2015. That's just shame on the say, global say church. Say that statistic again, because 80, I, we yeah. need to hear that. 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists in, in the unreached worlds in the 1040 window have never met a follower of Jesus. Never, never. met one single person who could share the love yeah. of Jesus Christ with them. You know, when we first moved there, it was just a shock. We, we moved in August, and December came, and there was no Christmas. Just never <laughs> thought about it. There's no Christmas. You don't think about that, but there's no background for that. I remember meeting a young man, drinking tea with him early on. He's like, why are you here? And, you know, I'm a little nervous. What can I say? What can I not say? And, and uh, um, he's like, well, you know, I, I, I love God, and I want to share God's love, trying to be, you know, sensitive. And, and I, I believe in the Bible. And, and he just looked at me straight face and said, what's a Bible? Wow. And there's a lot of unchurched people in North America, and the church should definitely engage them and reach out to them. But I don't know very many who would not know what a Bible is and maybe not even have one on their shelf at home. I don't know very many who live in a community where there's no church whatsoever, but we're talking about a world where there are no witnesses. Someone once told me that in, in the country I live, statistically speaking, the people here have 0% chance to hear the gospel in their lifetime. Um, it's pretty sobering for me when I think the interaction I have may be the only one they ever have with the follower of Jesus. And so there is such a need, and, and um, it's not easy. And so you ask, you know, what, if someone is feel called... To definitely be on your knees and praying, God, is this something you have for me? Because it's not easy. You're going to be prepared for a journey. And if you're not specifically called to go work in this part of the world, unreached Muslims, um, you know, you've got to know that you've got to know that God wants you there. Um, but the need is just so overwhelming, and, and the, the response has got to be for our church. I believe God's still calling, but we've got to be willing to step out and send our sons and daughters, recognizing that it's they're, they're, we're going to take some losses. We will. It, it, it's That's just a, the, the reality of the world, you know. While there are great things happening, God's doing good things, persecution's on the rise, and, and it's going to cost something. But isn't that what we're called to do, to give it all? You know, living sacrifices, that's what Paul tells us in Romans 12. Every single day, present ourselves as living sacrifices, willing to give whatever it takes to God so that he can do some amazing things. And, uh, and we do that. We see that. We see the miracles. We see the, the, the visions, the dreams. We see people's lives being transformed. But yet we also see persecution and struggle, and they're going to go hand in hand. So we can't let one stop us from another. How do you mentally and spiritually kind of work through to that point of saying, okay, Lord, even if I'm one of the losses, I, I still want to go? I mean, I think when you're young, you, you're kind of just adventurous, and yeah, you don't really understand. You get there, and, and after you've been there for a while, you realize that the reality of day-to-day -day is I recognize that I'm a minority in a, in a, you know, and there's a lot of the majority that particularly don't like you know, the, my beliefs and system, and so I would be a target. And, you know, it was interesting for me. We were over there when September 11th happened, and um, we didn't know what was going on, and it was a little thing, and there was opportunity for fear to set in then. And I remember I was sitting at the, at the barber, and I love my barber. He's an amazing guy and does a great job, and it's just I miss him when I'm in North America. But uh, when he was going to clean up my neck and things, he whipped out the straight edge. And I just suddenly was sitting in a chair looking in the mirror like, there's a Muslim man going at my neck with a straight edge blade. <laughs> And I tell you what, man, fear just boom. It was like, you know, four or five days after September 11th, and, and fear just overwhelmed me. And I remember riding back on the bus that day, looking around, seeing all these Muslim men, and, and just and just praying, God, God, I can't live here if I'm going to be worried about who might try to be coming after me or stop me. And, and he just took the fear. He really did. And, and, um, and I haven't experienced it since that moment. So just, you know, you obviously you go to God, you take it to him and give it to him. Because we can't dwell in that fear. But ever since then, I've not really ever felt that. Let's talk again about uh, those folks who we're talking to who are thinking about missions. Yeah. 
What do you tell them as far as preparation? How, sure. do they, how do they get ready? What do they do today so that when that call comes or when they set foot in that foreign country, they're ready to, to have maximum effectiveness for the kingdom? Well, I always encourage people to think about, you know, what you could do as far as just job skills. You know, if, are you a businessman? Do you have computer training, medical training, uh, uh, teacher training, English training? Any type of thing you can use in order to, to serve the people or, or to maybe get a job or provider or be able to actively work in a culture. Because a lot of times where we are now, that's, that's a requirement. And so that's, and of course, it's good to, to, you know, have some understanding of missiology and, and you know, what you want to talk about with Jesus. And if you're going to go to a specific religion like Islam or Buddhism, I would definitely recommend reading up on that and learning. Um, the more you read and understand, you'll probably end up knowing more about it than the actual people you work with. Um, they can never, you, they'll never believe that. Admit it, you can never say that there, of course, but uh, uh, after having read so much on Islam, the majority of people there will be folk Islam, They just the traditions that they've been passed down to. Um, but definitely you want to educate yourself, and there's a lot of resources available um, as you begin preparing. I, you know, I hear so much people want to go yesterday, and I just encourage them, that, you know, God's timing is perfect, and so you could be moving forward in the process, but definitely recognize that the process is, is well part of the journey. Use that to, to grow and to learn, to educate yourselves and to prepare yourselves um, to, to head out in that and to think through where you're going to go and what are the options? How can you stay in the country? Is it better to be a businessman, a tent maker? Is it better to go through an organization? Um, there's just a lot of ways of doing it now, but um, definitely training and preparation in advance will, will help prevent a lot of the mistakes and things that, that you know unintentionally can happen when we just try to jump in and go without ever thinking about, you know, what the reality is. How do you tell them to prepare spiritually? You know, it's interesting. For whatever reason, we tend to think there's this, you know, I'll do that then. Or I'll do that when I'm there. <laughs> you know, if you're not evangelizing now, you're not going to do it there. If you're not discipling people now, you're not going to do it there. In fact, it's going to be harder because you've got all this new culture, new language, and everything just bombarding you. Um, so if you're not actively growing and engaging in ministry now, why do you think suddenly changing to a more difficult location is going to make that happen? So always encouraging people to be involved wherever you are now, living out your, your faith and, and you know, finding opportunities to—you to, uh, you know, you hear a lot about giftings and things, and people will say, oh, it's not my gift. We're all called to share. You know, not every one of us are evangelists are going to be amazing at it, but we all have our circle of influence, and through our lives, we need to be sharing. So if you're not evangelizing now, start there. You know, um, if you're not—if you haven't learned how to disciple someone and how to do that— connect with your church or your fellowships and people and, and start, you know, start ministering now so you can gain some practical skills and do that. And then, of course, if if your personal journey with Christ is, is not where it needs to be, to think you can go to some of the darkest places in the world and maintain that is just, it's not going to happen. So you've got to know that you've got to know that this is what God wants of you. You've got to be intimate with Him and growing in Him in the relationship because when you're going to be tested when you get to that part of the world. And there'll be days when the only thing that's keeping you there is the fact that you're, um, you know God called you, and maybe your spouse hid your passport, uh, is in some <laughs> cases. Brother Harold, thank you so much for your ministry, for your passion. Uh, as, we, as we finish up, uh, I want to equip people to pray. Uh, how can we pray for the gospel work in Central Asia? I just definitely pray just for opportunities for the gospel to continue to go forward. Uh, you see a lot of things happening in the world today, and um, it is going to be, it's going to take a while, it's going to be a journey, but I believe this generation we're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, and just what's happening is specifically with Muslims around the world, but in the whole 1040 window. But just continue to pray for opportunities and doors to open for the gospel to go forward and for hearts to be open to hearing the truth. 
Uh, we can only do as much as we can, and ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that gives eternal life. And so we just pray that we are faithful to give and, and, and take advantage of those opportunities as much as possible, and that the Holy Spirit will continue to work. Amen. I also want to encourage our listeners to pray for Brother Harold and his family. Uh, we won't go into details, but I know he's dealing with some pretty significant health concerns. And so uh, if you would, just join in praying for healing and for God to continue to sustain their work. Brother Harold, thank you for being a part of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Our pleasure. Thank you guys for all you do. You can connect with us online at vomradio.net to listen to our conversation again. Send us your feedback, give toward VOM's work in the Muslim world, or subscribe to the VOM Radio podcast. All that at vomradio.net. I hope you've been challenged this week to pray that Muslims will come to know Jesus and for gospel workers on the front lines around the world. And perhaps God is tugging your heart to be a part of his great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. If you feel that call, Harold's given some great advice on first steps to take down that path. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.